Welcome to Purifying Truths with A Star. Today I have with us Mr. Rob Lowman. For those of you who don't know Rob, he was an addict. I know they say once an addict, always an addict, but actually he's been clean and sober since 2001 and his testimony is one that inspires all. Those who have had the, the struggle with addiction and those who have not. Welcome to Purifying Truths, Rob. I am so excited to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. It is truly um, an honor to have you. So we're going to jump right in. You know, many people think of addiction and they think of drugs. Now, of course, we're going to talk about drugs and alcohol a little bit today, but I just want to open the minds to think outside of the box a little bit. You know, addiction can be exercise. Addiction can be food. Addiction can be sugar. So addiction really isn't just that. And as we're going throughout um, our broadcast, I want our listeners to be mindful of that. Maybe your struggle isn't drugs and alcohol, but is it anything in your life that you're struggling with, that you're addicted to? Because these principles and these things that we're talking about is not just for drugs and alcohol. So please go ahead and tell us, what is addiction according to you, Rob? Oh, wow. You know, that, that word addiction causes a lot of people to kind of clam up, right? Like, mm -hmm. oh, I don't have an addiction and it's kind of, no, no. And, it, and I'll flip it sometimes and I'll start with, let me, let me ask this. Do you have a dependency on alcohol, a dependency on drugs, a dependency on working out? Like, do you have a dependency on these things? And then, you know, 99% of the time people go, oh, yeah, I have a dependency on it, but I'm not an alcoholic. Or I'm not addicted. <laughs> yes. You know, and it, and it opens their mind like, okay, wait a minute. So let me think of this. So when I'm stressed and I think if I have a scotch every night, it reduces the stress. So therefore, I'm not addicted. I just am trying to get rid of some of the stress in my life. And, mm -hmm. and when people think of it that way, it's like, well, what? I'll ask the question sometimes, well, what, what happens if you're running low on scotch? Oh, I got to go to the store and get some because I want to make sure I don't run out. And that opens the conversation a little bit more than talking to people about addiction. And, like, and then it gets them to the point, like, so do you think I'm addicted? Now, me, a guy in recovery, I will not tell someone they are addicted. They have to come to that conclusion themselves, right? And then mm -hmm. once they admit that, you know, I think I am addicted to these things. And it could be shopping or whatever, gaming or, you know, obsessively cleaning the house. I mean, there are right. things that we get addicted to. But if we could, if some people's minds open up more and go, okay, yeah, I have a dependency on that, then it opens the door to talk. So addiction to me is just really, we're, we're using things to deal with covering up emotional pain. Right. So really we got, we got to figure out what the heck is the emotional pain behind the addiction that's driving the substance abuse, the gambling, the shopping, the whatever it is that's, that's you know, allowing us to kind of escape what we're feeling. Because nobody mm -hmm. wants to feel, right? People mm -hmm. want to feel those emotions. So that's kind of the way I approach addiction with people. And and it just kind of opens, I think, the, a simpler door for conversation. But yes, addiction is real. It's running through our world and countries, neighborhoods. So is recovery, though. Mm, I love that you put a light at the end of the tunnel. And I love yeah. how you broke down what addiction is by comparing it, you know, to dependency and you kind of soften the blow. You're right. 
So I love that approach. Thank you so much for sharing. Now, understanding, we introduce you saying that you've had some um, rocky times. We'll just label it as that in your past. Please take us down the road um, with you being 14 and, and where yeah. you were then and compared to where you are now. Well, here's the crazy thing about that age of 14, because I have a son who is going to be turning 14 next month. Oh, wow. And, you know, and I reflect on, because he's like a little Robbie. He kind of looks like me, acts like me. I mean, acts like my wife and myself, but he looks a lot like I did. So I look at my son and I think of where he is now in his life, right? And then I go back to where I was in my life. And middle school is a tough time. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, trying to, you're trying to answer the questions of, am I loved? Am I liked? Am I attractive? Am I smart? All those things. And for me, I mean, I grew up in a Christian home in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And my cousins, aunts, uncles, grandparents, they, all, they everyone lived there. So it was kind of this big community of people. Mm-hmm. And we moved to Texas, you know, the good South when I was nine years old. And just something kind of disconnected there for me. And I didn't really know what it was. And I used my ability to what I thought was a gift of being kind of a chameleon in my life. Hmm. You know, I could act differently over this group of people mm-hmm. and I could act differently over here. But inside of all that, I really lost who I was. I lost who God says I am. And, and I just became really a chameleon, but no one really knew that. Heck, I didn't know that I was a 13, 14 year old kid. Right. But I do remember that there was always this allure of, of alcohol and drinking. Because a lot of our summers and family events and things, you know, I never saw people drunk per se, mm-hmm. but alcohol was just kind of like in the hand and it was, it, there was an attractiveness to it. So, uh, so I know the, the allure was there. And then I remember I was hanging out and uh, we, I laugh at this as a Christian with my Christian friends. It's like, I was at a Young Life Christian youth event. No offense to Young Life at all. It's an amazing community of people and organizations around the world. But I was at this Christian event and at this, at this family's house. And one guy just came up and said, hey, Loman, you want to have a beer? And I was thinking, three or two girls, friend of mine, and a six-pack of beer. So we, I was like, yeah, let's go. And so we walked through the bushes, went back. I cracked three of those beers and just drank them really fast. Wow. And they're kind of they're nursing their beer like, I, I probably shouldn't be doing this, but we are. And, and I kind of joke in some ways, it's not a joke, but say that alcohol had me at. Mm-hmm. And that's where it started for me. The, 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 just the, the sneaking, the hiding, the manipulation. Cause that night I remember my mom said, when she picked me up and she looked in my eyes and said, Robbie, your eyes are so bloodshot. What is wrong? And I immediately said, Oh, mom, my allergies are killing me in those new contacts. And there you go. I got away with it. So that's what started everything. Wow. Wow. And so you went from that point to, I'm assuming that was the beginning of the gateway to trying other things. Oh, yeah. And, and, you know, so all the way through high school, we'll just, high school, you know, I was a really smart kid. I was really good at swimming. And, but we would go to, you know, during lunch and things later on when we could drive and stuff like that, we would go drink during lunch and go back to high school. And, but I I always maintained good grades. So there wasn't this kind of 
flashing lights saying, oh, something's wrong with Rob because mm-hmm. I hit it well. And, and that was really high school. I mean, high school, I was, again, smart kid in all these accelerated classes. I was involved in church and young life and all these things. But alcohol was consistently around because what you think is, well, everyone's doing it. Mm-hmm. So I may as well continue to do it. So I mean, I drank and drove all the time as a minor and just crazy stuff and just thinking God had to have his hand upon me to, for me to not have died or cause any major issues in people's lives. And I graduated high school, went to college and college was one of those freedom times of, Hey, I'm not at home. So I don't have to eat, you know, chili, chili Fritos on the way home to cover up my breath. I can just go back to my dorm and pass out. So college was a pathway for me to become a doctor because that's what I wanted to become all my life like my grandfather. Mm. Yeah, it was, Bapa was the most amazing do- grandpa. He And so it was my G-pops, but Bapa, I wanted to be a doctor like him. And so I just aspired to be him. He never drank a drop in his life of alcohol. Mm, um, mm-hmm. my grandma liked her substances and, uh, and she has now passed away and I uh, love you, Gammy. And, uh, but you know, she did struggle with, uh, enjoying alcohol quite a bit along with a lot of my family and relatives and aunts and uncles and cousins and close friends in that circle of influence. But in college, I just really drifted away from God. Didn't really care. I didn't go to church. I just was a free college kid that was a fraternity guy and just really enjoyed alcohol. So when I look back on those times now, they really weren't fun times. I mean, alcohol poisoning, getting pulled over and almost getting DUIs, almost getting kicked out of college, Mm. just crazy behavior that you would not look at someone as like, what you knew you grew up knowing Jesus. Yeah, I don't think so. And so there was this this dichotomy I was going through of just knowing what I was doing was wrong, but I just kept doing the wrong thing. Well, we all have that time where we um, we struggle and we're rebellious, whether it's against, you know, Christ or our parents or whatever it is. You know, I think that's part of being a teenager. So we're going to fast forward a little bit because that's not who you are or where you are right now. So we understand you had a whirlwind of events. Things happened, you know, and snowballed. And then you had a wake up call. What was that? I did have a wake up call. So I had. You know, months prior to this wake-up call, I was dealing a lot with suicide ideation. Mm. Thought of ways to, you know, take myself out and kill myself and would see myself die often. And that, and that was starting to scare me. It was kind of those things that I was getting tired of the rat race and I wanted more for my life. But I didn't know what to do. I knew of AA, I knew of recovery programs, but I just didn't know how to step into that. And, and I, I didn't tell anyone about this because... I mean, if you and I met and I told you I was thinking about killing myself, what would the normal person do? They'd probably want to check, check, check you into facility. And, Absolutely. Um, so, but for me, it was this one particular night. And, and, and I, I joke about this, but it's realities. I mean, I drank and drove eight nights a week. I was out all the time. We had a lot of fun, quote unquote fun. But this particular night, as things were building and I, and I, I hated the guy I'd become, and I was hanging out in a bar in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And then all of a sudden, I mean, it was music, girls, like things we did every night, right? Just went out. But all of a sudden, the bar got completely dead silent. Hmm. 
just like that. I know you don't like silence on shows, right? But it's like it got completely dead silent. And then I audibly heard the words, you're done. And then it got really loud again. Oh, God. I was the only one that happened to in the bar. <laughs> and I looked at my friend, Sean O'Brien. I was like, bro, I got to go home. I don't know what just happened, but I think I'm finally done drinking. He laughed. I went home. And the next thing I knew, I had 350 pounds on my barbell on my workout, my, my workout bench in my living room. And I was laying down the workout bench, picked that up off the barbell rack, unhinged my elbows, and dropped that bar across my chest. My goodness. Yeah, and in the in the moment of me unhinging my elbows, you know, I, I serve a big God, right? And my God, I look at it now, carries the weight of the world. Mm-hmm. More weight than I can carry, which is symbolic of what happened this night because I could not bench press that amount of weight sober. But in my mind, I had obviously concocted some quick idea that that would kill me. So after I unhinged my elbows, in the milliseconds of my life after that, I believe God kind of winked, looked at my dog, gave him a nudge, and said, Jake, you need to go save your dad. And so my, my yellow lab Jake came over, and he put his head by my knee and just started rubbing my knee like, Dad, what are you doing? And my heart immediately broke for my dog, and I thought, oh, my gosh, who's going to feed Jake tomorrow morning? And I started thinking about good stuff in my life. And I'm like, I don't want to die. And then I know God was just waiting for me. And I'm like, okay, it's time. And he put the barbell back on the rack, which I can still hear the sound of that rack today. And man, I, will, I slept in peace that night for the first time in a long time. And the next morning when I woke up, I felt like a completely different man. And I have been ever since. Wow, that's amazing. So when you said he put the barbell back, I just want to be um, clear. Who put the weights back? God put the barbell back on. Aha, aha. Yes. 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 He will do exceedingly above what we can even imagine, ask or Amen. think. And that right there proves it. Um, so understood that you, you know, that was your wake up call. But what inspired you? to stay sober because many people get sober but you've managed to stay sober what was well, your inspiration no. oh man well i mean I, I, I went, my aunt took me to my first day meeting that next day and and i literally just found a community of people that wanted the same thing for in their life they talked about the help their families were getting and the help they were getting so i clung to people that were doing they were living recovery not just doing recovery and, and that was my circle of influence, my peers, my people, my peeps. And, and I stayed really, really close to that group. And then, you know, and, and I moved around a little bit in recovery because you know, recovery is everywhere. Then I got married in 2006 to my current wife, Jennifer, and I became a husband. And then mm-hmm. I became a father. And then I became a business owner. I was not those things in early recovery. Mm-hmm. And what I learned through this was that there was a lot of stuff I had still not dealt with. And you can look back on it now and I don't have any regrets, but I encourage people in early recovery and families and people to to seek counseling, to understand your past, Uh have community to understand your present. 
and find a coach to help you see the future. And I was stuck in the present and the, and over time leading up to 2012, I won't get into all the details, but leading up to 2012, a series of events had happened in my life where in my mind, Satan convinced me that I was a worthless piece of junk, failure, failed as a husband, a father, a businessman, that I had just failed completely. And so you think about, you know, five years or I'm sorry, 11 years earlier when I tried to kill myself with the work with weights on a workout bench, mm-hmm. I was back in the same mental spot with different situations because see what I never dealt with was my gambling addiction. Ah. And the the mental chemical junk you go through as a gambler with dopamine ups and downs and risk taking and, and and then you combine that with you kind of hate who you become, you failed at life, you're a loser. Like I would just say that my identity was not in Jesus Christ in 2012 when I had my mental breakdown. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I love the way that you tie it together, um, whether it was substance abuse or gambling. Either way, um, it was an addictive behavior. And so even though you were sober, um, you were still struggling with an addiction. And Mm -hmm. so how did you overcome this? Because you had done so well with being sober. How did you overcome the gambling? Well, the eye opener was in 2012 when I had a, a, a huge mental breakdown one night. Again, a lot of stuff was going on in my life. And I, yeah, I was believing the lies of the enemy. Mm-hmm. That one evening, I, I just had a mental breakdown and a mental blackout. And I ended up, and again, I'm leaving some details out just for the, the time of the show. But mm-hmm. I ended up grabbing a box of matches and lighting some boxes on fire on my covered patio. And that moment, that night, that evening, was the largest mistake of my entire, entire life and became the largest pain point of my entire life. Mm. But yet, but yet the biggest opportunity for positive change in my life. So a lot of big things happening in that, in that moment. And it was definitely not clear minded, right minded, driven by the subconscious, just a lot of, a lot of mental torment going on. And, and thank God nobody got hurt. It was property damage outside of property damage and emotional damage. Like those are two humongous things that no one physically got hurt in that event, but that, that event, and again, we can dive into this that you want to, but that event actually sent me to prison in 2013 to what was supposed to be anywhere from a two years of work release to 56 years in prison. And that was an extremely, extremely scary time for my wife and myself and my community of friends. Mm-hmm. You know, um, even though you went through this, you know, we all have um, tests. That's how we get to our testimony. And so even though you went through this, you know, I think it's very important that you keep saying, because I've heard you repeat, the devil was playing with my mind. So I would just want the audience to hear clearly, you know, he, he can't do anything else. It's not like he's all powerful. The way that he reaches us is through our mind. And if uh, you are a Christian, you know, you read 
the word and it says renewing of your mind. We have to learn to renew our mind. And so I know that you are doing that and that has been done and you're constantly doing that as of now. So please tell me what advice would you give to listeners that may be struggling with addiction, regardless of what kind? I I can tell you this, that I think for me personally, and I see this in people I get to work with, is that the most important question we can ask, and this deals with anything, relationships, finances, whatever, Mm -hmm. the most important question any of us can ask ourselves is, especially Christians, because a lot of Christians, I don't believe, really dive into this, is who am I in Christ? 100%. Who does Christ say that I am? And, and to, so the, the biggest thing I can say to anybody, whether you're getting out of prison or getting out of addiction or stuck in addiction, or you just have a, you know, a bad relationship with somebody or had a big life event, that if we can allow Christ to define who we are, then all this other stuff will not affect us as negatively as it currently does in our, in our world and country and society. And what I, what I mean by that, and not only that, but what I've been working on for the last couple of years is, you know, if I'm in a disagreement with my wife, right? I mean, marriage is hard regardless. Right. And so, Mm -hmm. and and you throw the, the journey that my wife and I have been on together and, you know, there's times that she can look at me and I can look at her and just like, you know, just kind (laughs) of, did we just do that? Whatever. And, and, and relationships are hard regardless. So whether it's a coworker and a boss or whatever, I look at this and I have to look at the people in front of me, whomever I'm discussed talking with or interacting with. And if something doesn't agree with me, I tell myself that is a child of God. That is God's workmanship. That person is also free from condemnation and no judgment. And and that it helped me out tremendously in my own life and lives of others. And it, it's so important because our enemy wants to play tricks with our mind. Mm-hmm. And if anything goes against who Christ says that we are, Christ says that I am, I, I have to discard it. I have the choice to discard it. And this is important for a guy that has suffered from suicide ideation throughout his life. I did not know that term until several years ago. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that I have dealt with that. Now, now what am I going to do about it? And so when I'm in those moments of, and this is just my world of, of sometimes I'll just get, you know, and, and just have a really, really, really rough day. And, mm-hmm. and maybe it was a, and a lot of this comes up more in like, if I have an, an argument with my wife or just a really tough situation. And my wife mm-hmm. and I are good now, so I can talk about our past. Um, but I've had these moments where I've just, or just, you know, the periods of time in my life where the bank account just doesn't match up to what I need it to. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know what, driving through the middle of that guardrail seems like a really good idea right now. And then I go back to, but I'm a child of God. I'm God's child. I'm not going to listen to those lies. Well, you should just kill yourself. I'm not going to do that because I'm God's child. I'm his workmanship. He loves me. He's got me. And the great thing is that whenever that negative stuff comes up in my life now, I just discard it. It doesn't stick around. It doesn't haunt my thought. And so no matter what our life looks like and our past shame, guilt, all these things can keep us so stuck. Mm -hmm. But I, I serve a God, a God of freedom and a God of 
letting go of the shame and a God that provides forgiveness and allows me to forgive others. And, and so I have to focus on me 100% to make sure I'm good. And if I'm good, then I can be a better husband, a better father, a better coworker, a better interventionist, a better recovery coach, a better podcaster, a better, better. Yes. You know, that is so powerful. We have to actually change our thinking and remind ourselves who we are in Christ, not who social media wants us to compare ourselves to, not who the person down the street thinks we are or what perception or image we need to hold up at work. But who are we in Christ? Mm. That is so powerful. You know, and I think that's good advice for addiction or not, you know, definitely we need to be reminded of that regularly and who's mm-hmm. better to do it than us to do it to ourselves. Yeah, definitely. Now, I shared a little bit with you um, about experience um, from my end about my mother. And I know that when we talk about addiction, no matter what it is, either if we have not struggled with it, we have someone in our family, in our inner circle that we know that is dealing with it. For those families, loved ones, family members or loved ones that had someone that is struggling with addiction, what advice do you have for them? Because obviously they love them, but they often feel helpless. And sometimes when they try to help, it hurts. It, it is. And it's scary to front or address something like that because the fear a lot of families because I mean my phone rings all the time with this exact same question mm. as, a, as an interventionist families call me and say my, my husband my wife my daughter my son my my mom is just yes. struggling with addiction whether and again addiction is all across the board and and what do I do mm-hmm. that's the question what do we do but if I do that she'll never talk to me again if I do that he might run away and kill himself if mm-hmm. I do this, and there's this fear of, if I confront, they will hate me. Well, here's, here's kind of the way I look at this, because some people, and you, and you may have heard this term before, is, well, we're just going to wait until so-and-so hits bottom. Mm. We're just going to wait until life circumstances hit them so hard in the face that they're going to finally come to us and say, I want help. Possibly or they could die in the process. Exactly. I was going to say it might be too late. Yeah, it might be too late. So when families call me, my, what what I, what I talk a lot to families about is I said, what if we do this? What if you consider this is what if we, as a team, we bring the bottom up to your loved one, meaning that you are on going down the elevator really fast. We're going to pause it here on floor number seven and give you the opportunity to get off and get some help. And we're going to do it with love, care, and compassion, not judgment and shame and yelling. And we're going to provide an opportunity to our loved one to say, you can stop this today if you want. And then they have a choice to get off the elevator on floor seven, right? Or they can jump back in the elevator and crash to ground floor and as alcoholics and addicts and individuals, we have this great gift of being able to somehow go underground a hundred more levels when we should have hit our bottom at floor seven. Wow. And so I like to give families this opportunity to say, Hey, let's with love and compassion, let's give 
a level option, which I don't know what that is at the time, but it could be, you know, detox, residential treatment, outpatient, going to a good Jesus camp, going to something, just finding a community of people that would just support them in their recovery. Mm-hmm. That's what I did. I mean, God, what I didn't mention before was when I found freedom from addiction back, you know, 20 years ago, I didn't go through detox or withdrawal or anything. It was just divinely taken. Wow. And as you know, and people you've met and talked to, that is not most people's story. You're right. So, so what families, what I also help families with after we have this initial, you know, what floor of the elevator do we want to get off of? And then the loved one gets to make the choice instead of being forced into a program, they get to make a choice. And simultaneously, I will be helping the family with, and I encourage families to learn this, is how do we set healthy boundaries where we can support our loved ones in their recovery and stop supporting them in their addiction? Mm-hmm. That's, that's so that's important. Hard, that's hard to learn. It's it's but those little changes, and I can give you a couple examples if you want, but those little changes will help their loved one move towards hopefully towards recovery, but ultimately it will help them learn how to love their loved one struggling with addiction better. Yes, I think boundaries are important. And I think that is it's just necessary you know, to have healthy boundaries set up. Um, so please share. So, so here's a couple of examples that you'll hear a lot. And, you know, so let's just, let's just use a son as an example. The son is living in an apartment on his own, right? But he's struggling with addiction in a huge way. So mom or dad or a friend will continually take them groceries because they want to make sure they're eating. Right. But now if mm-hmm. that person does not have to buy groceries, they have more money to spend on what? You got it. On yeah, their addiction and stuff. Or mm-hmm. but I, I need I need to keep their cell phone paid for because I want to be able to get in touch with them. Well, also they can then use their cell phone to reach out to their drug dealer, their their pimps, their whatever, to say, Hey, I've to stay in touch with them. Yes, you're right. Um or husband's uh, say a husband's living at home and he's he's now working from because covid really ramped a bunch of stuff up for people but mm-hmm. but loved ones working at home and he, he stays at home well he doesn't have to go to work and stuff so i don't care if he if he drinks but he's been doing this for 20 years in the house and and i'm i'm tired of it like it's all his fault well if people have been together for 20 years and this has been going on for 20 years it can't be all his fault Right. It's it's a team. It's a dynamic. It's, mm-hmm. it's a family system. So it's just trying to open the perspective of I never thought of if I buy my son groceries, you know, every three days because I want him to eat. Now he has thousand dollars a month to go spend on alcohol and drugs. Right. So all the little subtle changes can actually help move a loved one again, either closer to ad- recovery or further in their addiction. But we have this illusion that we are in control of helping them break their addiction when we really aren't. That's true. It is certainly an illusion. And the person that is going through the addiction, they're the ones that have to make the choice. Obviously, if we could do it for them, it would already be done. You know, Um, so I love the way that you gave examples. And thank you for sharing that, because I know 
many of us have faced those questions and then you feel guilty, you know, oh my God, they're losing weight. I should have bought that, you know, cheeseburger. And, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you feel bad. And, but then on the other hand, you feel bad even if you do help because you know what you're doing is freeing them up. So being able to help the family set healthy boundaries is so necessary. Rob, you have something called lifted from the rut. Explain. Well, this this has actually been a cool thing that God's been uh, re, uh, refining and refining over the last 18 months. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm excited about that because a lot of what I do and people in the industry and the, in the field that I'm in know I'm kind of like the Christian guy that they can go to for Christian resources, right? Mm-hmm. And some people feel like Rob only works with Christian. I just want to say this. That's not correct <laughs> because my whole purpose, uh, and I feel like God's calling for me and, and my lifted from the rut ministry is that, you know, I'm, I'm in the business of restoring hope, identity, and purpose to the addicted. And that happens in a multitude of ways as, as what I'm called to do and, and I get to do. So I want to read you this, the lifted from the rut value statement. Mm-hmm. And it might, it might give people a, a, an idea of what do I really stand for? What is, 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 is God really in this and what I do? And, and this is an acronym for lifted. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we are living authentically from our identity in Jesus Christ while experiencing freedom from strongholds by renewing our minds so that we can testify to the world, what God has is and will do in and through us so that others may experience God's love, grace, and mercy to disciple the lost, to live transformed lives through the healing power of Jesus Christ. Beautiful. Wow. And that is, that is what God has done in, in taking what I've been doing for the last, you know, five and a half, six years of being an interventionist and a coach to now really bring in just hope to people that are lost whether you're addicted or you have mental health struggles or you got out of prison, we're all just trying to figure out who we are in Christ. And if we can learn who we are and we can learn how to live from our identity in Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us, you know, and, and brings us that hope of a future. And I think that is so needed in our world and country now when you just look at what's going on. More than needed, Rob. More than More, needed. Like yes. Now than ever. So he is, I'm charged and saying, this is it. This is where I'm going. And, you know, you know and the thing when people hear that, they're either going to run away or come closer. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I'm just excited to see what, because this is a more bold presentation of what I do. Because everyone knows I'm a Christian that, well, not everyone, that would be that's a huge statement. But people that know me know that I stand for Jesus. Mm-hmm. And, and now, when they come and hear what I'm, what I'm all about, they see it right in front and say, I want that or I don't want that. But they're going to think about it if they don't want it, being curious as to what it is. Amazing. You know, I love the fact that you're restoring hope and identity along with purpose. You know, three, three things, hope, identity, and purpose to those who are lost and are willing to receive it. So definitely hats off to you. Appreciate what you're doing. Certainly you are inspiring so many 
and helping so many more. What do you want others to learn from your experience? You can change your life at any point. Mm -hmm. That is certainly true. And, you know, it's not just something that you thought up. It's not just something that you read about. You have done it like it is your testimony. And truly, God's hand has been on your life and has been woven throughout experiences where you're here for such a time as this to give your message and share your testimony. Rob, what can we expect next from you? Oh, wow. Uh, I mean, what I just shared with you, it's, it's, you're going to hear a lot more about who Christ is and what he can do in your life if, if you're open to it. And, and this goes for people who are Christians for 20, 30 years. And it's just kind of, the, the transition hasn't been from Christ as my savior, but we need to transition more to Christ as our Lord and learn how to live from that. So with, with what I do with interventions and coaching and just helping families and being a part of their life, there's going to be a, a lot more Christ-centeredness coming you know, on social media and everything that I get to do to just reach people. And so, yeah, I'm just here to just make some noise for Jesus. And uh, that's what people can be expecting a lot more coming forward. And there's big plans for 2022 and 2023 that as they unfold, I'll be sharing those as time continues to go on in and that regards. We will definitely be waiting anxiously to find out what those are and how would we be able to connect with you so we'd get the latest update. All right. If you just want to go check stuff out on online, you can literally just go to liftedfromtherut.com. Mm -hmm. but, if, but if you're struggling and you just have questions and you're listening right now, I give this out. So you will call me right now, not weeks down the road, mm -hmm. but my cell phone number, direct access to, talk about whatever's going on in your life is 970-331-4469. And I give that out because I want people to call and talk to me about what's going on. Yes, yes. There you've heard it from Rob. He is a coach. He is an interventionist and he is a Christian. He's given his cell phone number. You have access to him directly. Use it, people. He obviously is genuine about what he's doing. Rob, I thank you so much for just giving us an opportunity to engage with you on purifying truths. Do you have a social media that you um, can give that guests can reach you on? I do. I'm most active on Facebook. And okay. um, so just go look me up, Rob Lohman, L-O-H-M-A-N. And you can even just type in lifted from the rut and you'll find me. But I'm all, I mean, I'm on you know LinkedIn and Twitter and, um, oh, wow. I, uh, and, I, and I'm starting up a new, my new weekly TV show that I'll have through uh, online through Facebook. So if you want to connect, just try to find me on Facebook somewhere. Um, you, you will find me easily out there. So. Yes. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for joining Purifying Truths, Rob. It has been a pleasure. Well, you are a rock star in the army of God. So keep up the great work yourself. And just thanks for having me on today. Oh, thank you so very much. The pleasure was all mine. And thank you for tuning in to Purifying Truths with A Star. Tune in every Saturday at 9 and noon for exciting new deaths to illuminate the world in the various facets of life. 
You can connect with A Star on Facebook and Instagram. Also, website www.facetsofastar. Shine bright.